Hi, welcome to Once Upon a Podcast. My name is Chandler Lash. And my name is Sarah Shorty. All right, and today we are going to be talking about the Phantom Tollbooth, obviously a classic in children's literature, and it's a very funny book and one that I'm really excited to dive deeper into. But Sarah, I know we were talking about kind of an interesting psychology fact that you wanted to share. Oh, this is something that has, I found out about this my senior year of college, and it blew my mind. Women actually, this is a scientific fact. You can go look it up, dear listeners. Women see more colors than men. I'm I'm not quite smart enough to uh, explain to you all the permutations of why this is, but it, it is very true. Um, but there's there are wiring differences in the visual areas of the brain. This is a quote from Psychology Today. Um, these results suggest that the wiring differences in visual areas of the brain contribute to how men and women see differently, regardless of whether a person has an extensive vocabulary of color names. So, uh, yeah, when when men and women kind of disagree about the uh, hues and tones and uh, different types of color, it's a thing. Like men actually can't they can't see some hues that women can. It's very interesting. I I just thought it was Yeah, which is so interesting to me and it totally it just um lends itself to that stereotype too when, you know, a woman is looking at different colors and there's magenta and there's fuchsia and the man's like that's pink. Like, okay, maybe maybe it's not his fault. Maybe he's just actually not able to see as many colors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Yeah, it is hilarious. And um more men are actually colorblind than women, so that's oh interesting yeah, i'm pretty sure you can fact check yeah. me on that one but i'm i'm almost positive well we'll talk okay yeah well we'll talk a lot about different colors and things and why that plays a role in the phantom toll booth but first uh wanted to share a little bit about the history of the book and of the author so uh author norton juster was born in brooklyn on june 2nd 1929 Thanks to his parents, he loved books from an early age, and his family would read out loud constantly together. And this is likely where Jester became enamored with words, especially with how they sound. In a video interview with Jester, he describes words and reading in musical terms, talking about the importance of reading aloud to children so they understand the flow and rhythm. He even describes these words as a melody. Jester went on to college at the University of Pennsylvania, studying to become an architect like his father and older brother. He was a Fulbright scholar and studied abroad in England for a year. After college, he joined the Navy, staying with them for three years. It was during this period that he began writing seriously as a creative outlet. In a video interview, Jester tells a story of how he tried doing watercolors as a way to pass the time during some of the dull parts of his service time. He was told to stop because all of his pictures of elves and fairies and castles were apparently demoralizing to the other servicemen. I don't understand how though it can be demoralizing, but anyway. <laughs> uh, after his time in the Navy, Jester opened his own architecture firm. One of the projects they worked on was the Eric Carle Museum of Picture Book Art. In 1961, his first book, The Phantom Told Booth, was published by Random House. Jester says he didn't start out to write a book for children, he just wrote the book as a way to put some of his own thoughts down on paper, expressing feelings he'd had as a young boy trying to figure out how all the things he learned at school connected to one another. In a 2011 essay for NPR, Jester wrote, quote, I had been an odd child, quiet, introverted, and moody. Little was expected from me. Everyone left me alone to wander around inside my own head. When I grew up, I still felt like that puzzled kid, disconnected, disinterested, and confused. There was no rhyme or reason in his life. My thoughts focused on him, and I began writing about his childhood, which was really mine, end quote. In the video interview we mentioned before, Jester said something that stuck out to me. He was talking about not dumbing down books for kids. 
He said that there are no difficult words, only words kids haven't come across before. Many in the publishing world at the time disagreed, saying that the Phantom Tollbooth was too difficult for children, and perhaps more alarmingly, that children should not read fantasy because it disorients them. As of this year, the Phantom Tollbooth is 58 and still widely read and loved by all ages. Jester never expected it to become the well-loved classic we know today, but he noted the mostly timeless nature of the book in the NPR essay. Uh, quote, Today's world of texting and tweeting is quite a different place, but children are still the same as they've always been. They still get bored and confused and still struggle to figure out the important questions of life. Well, one thing has changed. As many states eliminate tolls on highways, some children may never encounter a real toll booth. Luckily, there are other routes to the lands beyond, and it is possible to seek them and fun to try. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that is beautiful. Yeah. I, I had not heard that quote before. So <laughs> yeah, do you remember sweet. when you... That's lovely. Do you remember when you first read Phantom Tollbooth Chandler? Yeah, um, I must have been in late middle school or early high school and I remember uh, my friend's grandpa who is an elementary school teacher recommended it um, because he said he thought I would get it and he he recommended it to some of his fifth grade students too and some of them didn't get it so I was curious at that point what do you what do you mean I'll get I'll get it so I was intrigued and I loved it so you what about you you got it then <laughs> I I guess so <laughs> I think so I actually, I was just thinking about this. I don't remember when I first read it. I was probably, uh, oh, yeah, probably 11 or 12 when I first read it. Maybe a little bit older. Um, but That's my a first, good age, I think. Yeah, I think it was a great age. And I remember just loving it. I The yeah. first year I did speech and, well, not speech and debate. I did just speech. Um, I took a class mm -hmm. and this was the book I picked to do my, my, um, it wasn't an it was an interp I don't know which one it was I would be confused <laughs> about the categories um but I did it my piece was on this um I took sections from the oh, book so and it fun. was oh my gosh it was so much fun so it's definitely a book that I've gone back to year after year and yeah read so for the speech that you did you did you just pick a couple different scenes from the book to act out I did I did the did pick? I did the humbug part I know I did that because <laughs> Or, mm -hmm. Well, okay, so here's the thing. I, <laughs> My brother, a number of years later, actually picked the Phantom Soul booth as well to do a speech on for a speech and debate. Ah, um, uh -huh. So I, I get confused as to who picked what because we picked some, oh. some of the parts we picked were the same and some were different. But I know I did gotcha. the I know I did the dodecahedron with the math part. Yes. The different okay. faces. Okay. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Um, That's a fun one. Yeah, I know I did that. Probably some of the ones with some of the different parts with uh, lots of words and um, funny like Neat. puns and stuff. So yeah. Oh, I love that. But, did you did you do any funny voices for the humbug that you could do for us? Oh no, I'm terrible at voices. Oh, that's what I thought you'd say. <laughs> oh my goodness, <laughs> I we we had this chat before we even started this podcast, and I, as you know, I'm dreadful. I'm not. Okay, I'm an I'm an okay. I don't actor, know that you but... have told me that I haven't heard that. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know. I think you should I... rethink your no voices policy. When I'm alone, I like to pretend that I can do an Irish brogue, but oh, that's okay. All right. I don't know if something... that's great for the humbug, but no. Oh goodness, no. I well, my voice isn't for the humbug. You have to have like this big. Um, there's the the 
part in the book that my siblings and I always quote because like somebody is adding something and they can't keep the the other characters can't keep up with him and the humbug who always gets flustered over everything he yells out 17 you have to have like this big voice to <laughs> my brother my brother can do it really well because you have to go really deep and like yes yeah. but he's oh, very pompous so I always so... read him he is I always read him with like a really deep and like southern drawl for some reason what Maybe okay go for me, it but oh I don't know I'm trying to remember a line let me see if I can. I have my book here. Um, okay, so here's a good line. When we first uh, meet the humbug, um, he says, Bosh, we're an old and noble family, honorable to the core. Insectus humbugium, if I may use the Latin. While we fought in the Crusades, which Richard the Lionheart crossed the Atlantic with Columbus, and so on and so forth. Um so hopefully you you listeners have gathered that the humbug is this very pompous and full of himself character and I think it's fun to read voices for all the different characters but before we get too far I think we should talk about where the book opens and get into the story more I agree wow I'm just gonna fangirl for a second (laughs) over here but okay continue Okay, moving on. Anyway, moving backwards. Um, so <laughs> the book opens, of course, with Milo, who uh, is very bored. And in particular, he doesn't see the point of learning. And he talks about not re- thinking that he needs to know how to spell the word February and things like that. Uh, but he finds something interesting, doesn't he, Sarah? He does. Something that kind of appears. This, so it, I think it's a box. When he, when he first walks it's in his room. He goes mm-hmm. into his room and there's this, is it, yeah. is it wrapped? I think, and he like, opens the box. I think it is. Yeah. He opens mm-hmm. this box and there's all these pieces and he has to figure out how to put it together. And he does. And mm-hmm. it's a toll booth. And I mean, as right. we heard in that quote <laughs> earlier, back then people knew what toll booths were, but maybe today people, thought, <laughs> but um, it's, it's true. There's some danger. Yeah. They, they describe it as this, this <laughs> um, booth. Like it's basically a little tiny house with a little, uh, mm-hmm. uh, what do you call that? Uh, arm that comes down to to block you. Mm-hmm. And Milo finds this little car, and he does not have to build the car. <laughs> he, he finds it, right? <laughs> and he's like, "Well, I don't have anything else to do." So he is just kind of playing around. I don't think he he doesn't expect anything to happen. And no, he doesn't. And he's thinking, "Well, I'm so bored. I have to do something. I might as well do this." Right. And so he <laughs> yeah. does. It's just one of the things that you just kind of do. And he drove through, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, he wasn't in Kansas anymore. No, he was not. Yeah, and he he is transported to this strange land, um, comes to first the land of expectations, and he meets the weatherman, W-H-E-T-H-E-R. And there's just all kinds of fun things. Like, that's that's the joke of the book, I think, is just all of these, like, the land of expectations and all these just really fun and clever plays on words that are throughout the entire book. Um, yeah, so he finds out that there's this there's two different kingdoms, right? Dictionopolis and Digitopolis, and basically the kings are fighting with each other, and there were these two princesses, right? Rhyme and Reason, mm-hmm. who've been banished, and that just puts the whole kingdom of wisdom, everything is just crazy because of that. Which is super interesting. Um, Sarah, do you have a favorite scene or a character that Milo encounters along his journey to rescue Rhyme and Reason? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I, it's, 
I can't I can barely rank them because I just really enjoy the cleverness <laughs> of each one. Um I this oh, book, yeah. I do distinctly remember that it was this book that I figured out how to pronounce the word macabre because I had I mm. cuz it looks like <laughs> ma- I think I said macabre. Macabre? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm terrible yep. at pronouncing words just in general, so I I do remember that, but I think he meets the the is it the witch macabre or I think is her oh no faintly yeah faint, faintly macabre she's a she's a witch but yes that's it but mm-hmm. it's w-h-i-c-h witch mm-hmm. yeah um i so i do remember that that kind of caught my memory but something that has already has always stuck out to me it was when he is in the um uh oh this in the valley of sound the mm-hmm. soundkeeper. I don't know why I always remember this scene, um, but whenever I think about this book, I just kind of think of that scene because uh, she's so she was uh, this, the ruler, and she's she's hiding away in her castle. She hates all of the noise, so she has taken all of the right. sound, literally all out of the valley, and yeah, it. she she invented all these sounds, and people no longer appreciated them, so she just kind of hoarded them. Yeah, and wouldn't let anybody have any sound. Yeah, so. Then, and everybody's just—it's so sad when the, when Milo and and uh, well the dog who we'll talk about in in a minute talk are walking through mm-hmm. the watchdog. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they're walking through and there's no sound and everybody's really sad and it's like on the one hand I always felt bad for the soundkeeper because overwhelming noise is oh man that's tough to get around but also <laughs> you, you, oh there's so much you lose so much when you don't have sound so it's an interesting kind of. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you, it's an interesting thought. What do you do when all the sound is gone, but also yeah, too much noise is also a bad thing? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I love that – so Milo kind of sneaks into her house and has to um, try to bring some sound back so that the Valley of Sound can have sound once again. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting the way that Jester describes the way that sounds look. That was a fun detail is each sound has a specific appearance and as soon as it's created, it gets filed away into her little library. Um, but it's kind of sad at the end because Milo ends up having to destroy her like little castle where she's keeping all these sounds in order to bring it back. And yep, it's I, sort of bittersweet because there's sound back, but also that was, we're back to the same problem as before. Exactly. I just... Oh, I don't yeah. know. I was always torn. I just remember always being torn about that chapter because I love his description of how Milo takes the, the, the I think it's a little like who, or I know it starts with a W. I'm blanking on the word now, but mm. um, he takes this word, or maybe it's here, and tips it into the cannon when he leaves the castle. He holds it in his mouth and he tips it in and they're able to yeah. to destroy the, the, the castle with it. But So part of me was like, oh, yay! Milo, you did it, but also, oh man, that seems kind of deceptive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's definitely bittersweet. Um, we should jump back to talk about the watchdog character who you mentioned. So the watchdog character um, is just that. He's a dog with a watch on himself. And if you look at the cover of the book, he's there with Milo. Um, and he had an older brother who, his name was Tick. But the sound that his clock would make went talk, talk, talk. And so they named, his parents named the next little puppy Talk, even though he ticks, which is kind of funny. Um, and definitely a sore subject for this poor little dog. 
Yes, very yeah. much so. Yeah. But he's just kind of grumpy, I would say. What do you think of Tuck? Oh, very grumpy, but so endearing. Just hmm, what you would want your... So if I, I'm not a huge animal person, but if I were to ever um, get a dog, that's whenever I talk to people who just love dogs, I feel like Tuck is the kind of dog that everyone thinks that their dog is um, <laughs> if their dog could talk. Okay. Uh, as in, like, speak. Um, kind of kind of grumpy and morose, mm, but just yeah. very loyal and, <laughs> yes. and your best friend and uh, always there. Yeah, that's a good summary. I don't know if that's the best description. But. <laughs> no, I think that's fair to say. Yeah, he's a fun character. Yes, he is a wonderful character. <laughs> um, so I, I talked about my kind of scene that stuck out to me. Is there a scene that you really love? Yeah, so, I mean, I think the scene that stuck out to me the most is Dictionopolis, which is the first place that Milo and Tot go together. Um, and it's where words come from. And there's this word market there that the two of them discover where people are buying and selling words. Um, they meet this spelling bee character who every once in a while has to stop and just spell out the words that he's saying. Um, he was one of the more memorable characters for me. Um, yeah, and... Oh, there's all these different, like, noblemen who keep repeating synonyms for words. So any scene that they're in, it just takes forever to get through because they just keep saying different synonyms for these words, which is really fun. So I think Dictionopolis, I think it's just a kid who loved reading. Like, that was what I appreciated the most. Oh, and there's this fun detail where Milo gets thrown into jail for, like, six million years or some ridiculous amount of time. But, of course, <laughs> in Dictionopolis, they don't care about numbers, so he just leaves. And the policeman sees him and says, yes. oh, it's been six million years already? Wow, okay. <laughs> time flies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's so true. Well, isn't I think it's in when they're in Dictionopolis that – this is a little detail that I always thought was funny. Because I never – it took me a long time to understand the phrase half-baked ideas – um, when he's, I think he's having dinner with the king, and they're talking about ideas, and they're baked in, in different shaped pies yes. and stuff, and some of them are are half baked, and I just thought that was really yes, clever. yeah, that half baked. There's another scene um, where they all have to give a speech before dinner, and Milo stands up and he's like, "Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here." And then everyone's like, "Okay, sit down. You're done." And then everyone else goes around the table and just like says what they want to eat. Because, of course, in Dictionopolis, you eat your words. So he just ends up, Milo, with these, like, horrible-tasting words, and everyone else is eating this delicious meal that they ordered. And that, I think, oh, really encapsulates the humor that. of the book. Yeah, I just love that, of eating your yes. words, of half-baked ideas. There's a lot of fun stuff there. Yeah. No, it's it's so true. Well, I think that kind of gets us to um, one of the themes of the book that we kind of wanted to touch on. Mm -hmm. which, do you want to talk about that, Chandler? Yeah, so to me, a theme that really stuck out to me the most was just the importance of a love of having a love of education. Because, you know, at the beginning of the book, Milo's bored, and specifically, he's tired of learning, and he doesn't understand the point of it. And but he goes through all these places, and he learns the importance of words, and of numbers and sounds and colors, and all these wonderful, important things. He ends up in the mountains of ignorance, fighting demons in order to rescue rhyme and reason. And by the end of the book, he um, just realizes how important learning is. And uh, at the end of the book, so the toll booth vanishes and um, 
it's the sad thing for Milo at first because he wanted to go back and explore these lands and more, but then suddenly he realizes looking around, like, there's just so much to do and so much to learn around him that he feels like he wouldn't even have time to go on any of those adventures because there's just so much to learn, which I love. Um, and there was this really great quote when he finally does find Rhyme and Reason. I don't remember which one of, one of them. I think it was Reason says to him, um, it's not just learning things that's important. It's learning what to do with what you learn and why learning. Sorry, I'm going to back up a little bit. Um, three, two, one. It's learning what to do with what you learn and learning why you learn things at all that matters, which I think just really sums up the book well, um, that he just learns that these things are are good and important. And even when he's doing something ridiculous, like trying to settle a fight between two princes who can't agree whether words or numbers are more important, like he actually begins to appreciate both, which is great. No, it's so true. It's that having a different perspective being able to or being given the chance to to get a different perspective on on life Mm -hmm. and uh, just something my my um mom always talked about so um I was homeschooled you you were homeschooled Mm -hmm. as well right yeah yeah that's what I thought we were both homeschooled um and uh mom always talked about that learning how to learn so that's why I love that that quote I think that um encapsulates this very well I think so too. The idea behind his book. Yeah, definitely. So that's one important theme, I think, is the love of education. Um, But then you had noted something else as well that's similar, right? Yeah, basically similar. I just, when I was reading about Norton Juster and kind of his life philosophy and and, um, writing this book, and this is something that has come up in in other areas that I've... (laughs) Uh, studied or, or talked about with other people, everything's related. I, that That's another point. I think he was just trying to get across that there's so much to learn out there. And it's not, he talked about when you're a kid, you don't understand, like, Miley, why you have to spell February? Why mm-hmm. we have to learn that <laughs> two plus two equals four? And everything seems so completely uh, uh, separate from each other. Yeah, and d- not very disconnected. Connected and very disconnected and it doesn't it doesn't make sense right away well there's a couple things behind this that I think we have to understand and that um yes when you're a kid you don't have the life experience to make all of those connections yet that's what learning is all about right it's a process and there are some things that you may never love learning certain things in life I totally understand Mm -hmm. I mean I not good at math it's it's something that's really a big struggle for me um but that was something that I had to do because when you there are things in life like math that you're not just you have to know basic math and and maybe a little beyond not just because you need to be able to add so that you can do your finances someday when you're adult but because that process helps you to think through you're trying to learn how to think logically and Mm -hmm. clearly about and and think through a process and that can be applied to lots of other areas of your life which is so important yeah absolutely something yeah it's 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 all it's all related it's all connected right which I think is really important to note and something that like you said a lot of kids don't realize especially if you're you know going through school and you're studying history and now you're done and now you're talking about English and now you're done and now you're talking about math and it's just so easy to put things into boxes but um I think that was a big lesson that I learned studying the liberal arts, right, because we both went to Hillsdale College Liberal Arts School, where that's something that is really emphasized is 
what is a liberal arts education? And yes, those things are all very connected and you're not just supposed to learn it and then, you know, move on. Like, yeah. So I think, I think you summed that up really well. And I think that's definitely a big theme of this book. I completely agree. It's, it's a wonderful theme of this book, but also it's so perfect for, for children because there's not like a, a, an explicit moral to this book. So you don't go in reading it and there's not, no, you don't come out and you're like, Oh gosh, I need to go like read the encyclopedia or something. That's not, it's just supposed to be a fun, <laughs> enjoyable book that gets you thinking. It, it right. instills something deeper in you. Yeah. Which I think is part of why it's been so successful and just so resonated with so many people is because it is so fun and it's fun to understand all the different puns <laughs> and those sort of things. And I'm just trying to think, like, as a kid, if you're reading this and, and you don't really know what a half-baked idea is, but you learn, and that makes it fun, and that makes that scene funny, and that's great. I think it's very wonderful. Well, do you have anything else that you wanted to add to our, our discussion here? Or? I think we should, just to mention another scene briefly, um the scene with about colors, because we talked about that at the top. And why is that relevant, Sarah? Oh, oh, shoot. I'm blanking on this scene. Do you remember? <laughs> no. That's okay. Um. Oh, my gosh. I'm <laughs> no, that's all right. I'm blank. Which, okay, remind me what Well, do you remember? About... Okay, yeah. You remember when Milo is, so he's left Dictionopolis, and he's walking through these different cities of reality and of illusions, and he comes across an orchestra. And they're all playing instruments, but he can't hear anything. See, this is kind of, so I just reread the book, and this was a scene that I actually forgot about at first, but reading again was really beautiful. So he finds this orchestra and this conductor, um, but they're not playing music. They're actually playing the sunset, and not just the sunset, but all of the colors. And at one point, you know, it's nighttime, and the conductor goes to sleep, and there aren't any colors, and Milo takes over conducting, and things just go crazy with just this chaos of color and he ends up conducting like seven different sunsets and moving the world forward a week and it's this huge disaster. Um, but it made him appreciate color more after that, which I thought was very cute. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I remember this now. What? And I just love that they associate color and music together. Yeah, so fun. And one thing that I didn't really pick up on as a kid that I kind of pick up on now, I think it's intentional that he's learning more about music as he's getting closer to Digitopolis, where numbers are more important, um, which I thought was interesting. Like, there, I think there's a reason he, that it gets closer, right? I think it goes back to what you're saying of everything is connected, right? We need numbers for music, um, but that's not something that you really think about as a kid. Exactly. <laughs> and I, it is funny because back on the, on the sunset bit, poor Milo, he was just trying to be helpful and, uh, and, uh, kind, but alas. <laughs> <laughs> it did not end well, but that's okay. Not. I mean, I guess it kind of worked out. <laughs> um, okay. So we were talking about some of the fun desserts that Milo discovered in the land of Dictionopolis, which I think is a good segue to your recipe that you found for us this week. Yes. Okay. So uh, one of my... <laughs> which I'm very excited about. <laughs> one of my other uh, favorite 
it's not exactly a scene. It's just part of a scene. I think it's when they meet the spelling bee, which now I remember um, the spelling bee was one of the uh, portions that I did in my speech. Oh, good. It was so much fun. I had to learn I hope how to you spell made it those sound like really fuzzy fast. and really emphasized all the S's. Was fabulous. Spelling bee. <laughs> <laughs> made for a great, I did, I think I did something nasally. Anyway, um, good, in, good, good. within that scene, he's in the a market in, in Dictionopolis and there's a stall with all the letters of the alphabet and you could you you would purchase the letters that you wanted and you could eat them you you would taste them and so Milo was tasting the different letters and he tasted an A and it was sweet and and I think it was crisp probably like like an apple I think is the description they used and he tasted some other ones and then he tasted like a Z and it was dry and dusty and the reason for that being was that your vowels are used constantly so the more a letter was used the better tasting it would be whereas the ones that were less used just didn't taste as good but i have a recipe that will guarantee hopefully that all of your uh letters would taste good um chocolate chip alphabet cookies so you can do this with a basic either chocolate chip cookie dough or um sugar cookie recipe so you can either do homemade which i always recommend just because that's me um or store-bought is totally fine um just a, a tip though if you go the homemade route with the chocolate chip cookie dough make it the day before you want to have your cookies and leave it in the fridge overnight it's a scientific thing the flavors all meld and taste better the next day trust me on this one it's really great um, <laughs> it's true because of science. It's true because of science. That's my sister did an experiment and she told me, so I'm believing her on this one. <laughs> um, and then alphabet cookie cutters are relatively, I'm pretty inexpensive and you just roll out your dough and cut out your, your cookies and, and bake them. There's lots of really good recipes for, for this online. Um, and then you can decorate them with royal icing or really whatever you want, um, and you could put sprinkles on them or uh, just fun. You could do all kinds of fun things with the decorating of uh, each letter. You make a whole alphabet and do something cute individual. Um, in a later episode, I'll, I'll kind of come back to this alphabet because I, I want to talk about an alphabet tea time tradition we had in my family one year as part of our homeschool curriculum. And uh, this recipe would uh, really fit the food bill perfectly. That's so cute. And I love this just fits in really well with this book because he actually does eat letters. Yeah. So this is great. <laughs> so Chandler, could you talk about our music? Yeah, album? I remember one line in the book too where, oh yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say, I remember one line in the book where he picks up a letter C and it's just described as tasting exactly like you think a C would taste like. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, whatever that means. And you're like, well, wait, um, what does it taste like? So now people can yeah I, that, now now we'll know if we make these cookies um yeah so the album i was thinking about um for this book something that i listened to a little bit while i was rereading and that i, I think listeners should too is the album give up by the postal service um and there's a couple reasons for this but the biggest reason is there's just a lot of um exploration themes Throughout the book, um, there was, I'm sorry, throughout the album, and then, of course, throughout the book as well, the song that I know best from this album is called Such Great Heights, and it's just, I always picture somebody um, up in a hot air balloon, they will see us waving from such great heights, come down now, but we'll stay. Uh, but you could also be applied to Milo and, and talk 
flying down from the castle in the air, I suppose. Um, and there's another song, Brand New Colony, which I think also gets to kind of those exploration themes. And it's that one in particular sounds kind of like something you'd hear in a video game, which I guess I just associate with fantasy literature as well. Um, and then there's one other song called Sleeping In which I can relate to, Don't Wake Me, I Plan on Sleeping In. Um, but it reminds me of this one scene we didn't really talk about at the beginning of the book where Milo meets these people called the Doldrums, where nothing ever happens. Oh, I'm sorry, the Doldrums is the place. He meets the um, Lethargerians or something, right? These lethargic people who just, they plan on sleeping in. <laughs> the illustration in the book is fantastic. They're just kind of these round, plump characters, and they're all just like laying and sitting kind of slumped and it's great it's all very foggy. yeah yeah and it, yes incredibly lazy um so this is the album that i recommend for the phantom toll booth and i definitely recommend something we didn't really talk about was the illustrations which listeners should definitely pay attention to because they're interesting and they're unique and i think they set the tone of the book really well i agree and actually this was something when i was doing research on norton jester i found out um uh, Jules uh, Pfeiffer is the name of the illustrator and they actually so when Jester wrote the Phantom Tollbooth he and Pfeiffer lived in the same apartment complex and so they worked they worked together on this book um, and and uh, Norton Jester was just thrilled with the um, visual aspect he it, we don't have uh, time to talk about it now but the whole because he was a trained in architecture the visual aspect to everything was really, really important to him. So he talked about how he could never start a story until he had kind of visualized the whole thing first in his own mind, and then he could start to write about it. So the illustrations of all of his books. That's really interesting, and that makes a lot of sense. Well, uh, is there anything else we should add? Not that I can think of. Uh, I think I don't think so. We have uh, covered lots of lots of Phantom Tollbooth. And uh, we don't want to we don't want to uh, give away everything to our listeners here. They need to go and read it for themselves. It's a wonderful read aloud. Um, Absolutely, you so should. Really fun to fun to do with a, as a family setting or to read by yourself. And there's so many characters, as Chandler said. It's really great to make up your own voices for all of them. Yes, please, please read it aloud to a child who also can read it with you, so that the child can visualize the word patents. That's my suggestion. Or read it by yourself. That's fine, too. <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> <So> Anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Chandler. Thank you, Sarah. And we'd also like to thank D. Yankee for our intro and outro music, Driving Home. And thank you, everyone, for listening to Once Upon a Podcast. <laughs>